Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, as we look to your incarnation by viewing your human ancestor Rahab, we ask you to bless our sermon that we may see your grace comes to those living in complete darkness and learn to glorify you as we live in the light that you have shown upon us. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. This is the gospel history of our Lord. In our previous sermon, we covered the first non-Shemite, if you will, Shem descendant in the lineage of our Savior, the Canaanite Tamar. Well, they had gone down uh, to Egypt then after Tamar had born those two sons and, and the Israelites grow into a nation. They had come out and, and now they have grown uh, and now they're taking over the promised land. So it's no more than probably about 430 years since Tamar when Rahab, who is also a Canaanite, a non-Shem descendant, a descendant of Ham, who is also a Gentile, obviously. And there's still one more Gentile who she's mentioned in our text that we're going to cover in the next sermon comes to faith. Now, the amazing thing is every conversion is a miracle. It takes God's supernatural power. As Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And when we look at Rahab's conversion, we definitely see a miracle. And how could it be? One of the popular prophecies of Isaiah that get read during Advent and Christmas is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, which says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. This year, our Advent sermon series is on lessons of the coming of our Lord from his genealogy. And today, looking at Rahab, we have the sermon theme, He Comes to Those Living in Darkness. Now, it is the generation that's allowed to take over the promised land. Joshua is leading the people. Moses has died and God has hidden his body from Satan. And in Joshua chapter 2, we're told, starting at verse 1, Now Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men from Shittim to be spies. He said, Go and look over the land and Jericho. So they set out and came to the house of a woman who was a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. We're just going to stop there. Tamar pretended to be a prostitute to deceive her father-in-law who had been deceiving her. Rahab was a prostitute. Now, these men did not stop at the prostitute's house to make a business transaction. They stopped there because if you're trying to spy out a town, what better place to be if you're a stranger than to go into a place where they're used to seeing strange men come and go? So they weren't there to solicit business. And we're told they settled in to spend the night there. It was reported to the king of Jericho, some Israelite men came here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent messengers to Rahab. They said, bring out the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house, because they have come to spy on the whole land. Now the woman had taken the two men and had hidden both of them. She just jeopardized her life. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I did not know where they were from. When the gate was about to be shut at dark, the men left. I do not know where the men went. Go after them quickly so you can overtake them. I want to stop here before we continue with verse 6. There are, at this point in time, there are two 
big lies that are told in the history of the Israelite people that saved lives. Now, we've got to understand lying is a sin, but the intent of that is to protect life and reputation. This is a sinful world. And when the Hebrew midwives had the choice, either lie or be put to death, and Pharaoh would put Egyptian women in place, they told a lie that preserved lives like Moses when he was a baby. This woman is in quite a predicament, and she picks, and that's what happens in a sinful world, the lesser of the two evils. But I wouldn't accuse her of sinning here because what she was doing was actually preserving life. Okay, continuing on. But she actually had taken them up to the roof and had concealed them among the stalks of flax that she had spread out on the roof. The men of Jericho then went to pursue them along the route to the Jordan that leads to the fords. The city gate was closed just after the pursuers had gone out to pursue the spies. But before the men lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I want to stop here and cover something, and we're going to continue with her confession. The name she uses for the Lord is that covenant name. It's used in the Bible before he introduces himself to Moses in the burning bush and stuff. But but the name that's used uh, here is the one God reveals to Moses first. And it's that Hebrew word, not the Hebrew one Adonai, which could be translated also as master or sir. But the one that's from the Hebrew verb being. It means God is absolutely faithful. He's absolutely faithful to his promises. He's absolutely faithful to his covenants. There's nobody who exists above him that could make him break his promises or lie. So this is the name that God uses with his covenants, especially his covenant of, of grace, of salvation. It's interesting that she already knows this name and it's going to come into play. And when she says, I know, that's the Hebrew knowledge word for intimate knowledge, for experiential knowledge. She says it in the perfect aspect, which means I am absolutely convinced of this. Now, continuing on after what's already a very wonderful confession from a person who would have been a Baal worshiper probably. Because of you, terror has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land are melting in fear before you. Indeed, we have heard that the Lord, same name for God that we translate often Jehovah, dried up the waters of the Red Sea in front of you when you came out of Egypt. I'm going to stop there again. Now think about this. He destroyed, at this time, there's two great empires. There is the Egyptians, and there is the capital of Nineveh, the... um, the Assyrians, and the Lord destroyed one of those armies of the two great ones. And so she should have looked at this and and she should have, like everybody else, been in terror. Wow, even the great Egyptian army couldn't stand up to this God. But notice how she focuses. Instead, she focuses on how he uses it to save the Israelites. She recognizes this is the the all-powerful Lord, but she also recognizes his grace in saving people. So she continues, And we heard what you did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og. We heard that you devoted them to destruction. We heard and our hearts melted, and no one's courage could hold up anyone against you. She's going to continue here. I want to interrupt again. I've always thought that every, every conversion is a miracle. Some of the great ones are Saul's, but to me, I've always thought the thief on the cross was one of the most miraculous. They're all miracles. But it's one that always stands out to me because living in Israel, he would have heard of the Messiah. But he began that day mocking the Lord. And by the end of the day, most of what he had heard was from people saying in ridicule mocking. And yet out of that ridicule, the Holy Spirit entered his heart and he became a believer. Now, what the reports this woman is hearing is from people who are going, how do we stand up to that God? And yet she has come to trust in the God of grace. 
that he delivers his people. So listen to this beautiful confession she gives that only comes from the Holy Spirit, working through those who had been spreading the message in terror, the enemies of the Lord. She says, because the Lord, your God, is God in the heavens above and the earth below. Not only has she used the name for the Lord that emphasizes his grace and his absolute faithfulness, she recognizes this Baal, this Moloch worship, it doesn't count. Most people in that region or in Egypt and stuff would say there are many gods in, in wherever region you're at, that the God they worship is the most powerful there. She gets this. This is the, the other gods don't matter. They're false gods as we know. So. So here's a very strong confession of faith that has come from the message of those who are the enemies of God's people, the people who reject Lord. And of course, it's a strong law message. Uh, that we, nobody's standing up to this God. So in verse 12, she says, So now please swear to me by the Lord that since I have shown kindness to you, you in turn will show kindness to my father's house. Give me a trustworthy sign that you will preserve the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and everyone who belongs to them and that you will spare our lives. The men said to her, if you do not reveal what we are doing, our lives are pledged for your lives, even to the point of death. Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will show mercy and faithfulness to you. We want to add here in the commandment, do not take the name of the Lord, thy God in vain. Uh, the name of the Lord reveals everything he does for us. So it includes his word where we're told what God does for us. But part of that commandment, really a good way of using it is when you swear by the Lord, if you're a believer, you're swearing your eternal salvation, that you're telling the truth. It's the most solemn oath you can take. And she is able to trust these men. All right, I've helped you. Uh, and, and it's not just making a deal because she already is a believer. That's clear by her confession. Now I'm expecting you to swear by the Lord that because you're actually my brothers in the coming Savior. Of course, she wouldn't say it that way at that time because her knowledge wouldn't be that great. But but that's the gist of it. I, I, I'm asking you to make a solemn oath that I'm going to be okay. So we're told in verse 15, she let them down through the window with the rope since her house was built into the city wall and she was living inside the wall. She said to them, to the hill country, get moving so the pursuers do not catch up with you. Hide there for three days until the pursuers return and then you can go on your way. The men said to her, when we come into the land, we will be free from this oath that you made us swear unless you tie this bright red cord in the window through which you let us down and you gather your father and mother, your brothers and your father's entire household into your house. If any one of them goes outside the doors of your house, his blood will be on his own head and we will be free of guilt. Anyone who is with you in the house, his blood will be on our heads if a hand is laid on him. If you reveal what we are doing, we will be free from the oath that you made us swear. So they don't know her that well. They really stipulate out what the oath is. And these men are, are honorable men. And she is, even though it's amazing, she was a prostitute. She is already their sister, as I mentioned, in the coming Christ. So how does the rest of the story go? Well, the men return back to the camp. The people come to Jericho. And archaeologists, many of them speculate that Jericho may even be, and I say emphasize may, the first walled city. Jericho had some pretty good walls. So how does the Lord have his people tear down those walls so they can get at them? He has them march around it for days, and then they blow trumpets, and the Lord himself sends the walls tumbling down. So the rest of the story in Joshua 6, verses 22 through 23 tells us, 
To the two men who had spied on the land, Joshua said, Go to the house of the prostitute and bring out the woman and everyone who belongs to her, just as you swore to her. So the young men who had acted as spies went and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and everyone who belonged to her. They brought out all her family members and they settled them outside the camp of Israel. Now, why outside the camp? It's not because they go, oh, we can't stand you. We're just prejudiced against Canaanites. By the ceremonial laws God had given at Mount Sinai to the people of Israel, there would be a period of cleansing. And we know that they went through the period and were welcomed among the people because we have read Rahab as part of the human genealogy of our, of our Lord, whose coming we celebrate his birth at, at Christmas time. Uh, the other thing we want to point out here is when everybody else is fleeing in terror, going, and, and they're going, our best bet is, is to make a, a strong uh, defense against and pray that we can survive this. She, by the Holy Spirit, having created faith in her heart, says, I'm embracing the Lord and throwing myself on his mercy. And we, well, there's prostitutes in the New Testament who throw themselves on the Lord's mercy. And they already had the faith to do that, right? So she comes out, a daughter of the Lord, and is blessed to be one of, now, uh, of three women. She's the second one who is of, Je- uh, of Gentile uh, background to become a descendant of the Lord, showing us salvations also for us Gentiles. So we see as we look, he comes to those living in darkness. We see the light shined on Rahab with his word. This is nothing short of God's predestining her to come to faith. Now, Calvin, who we'll say rode in on Luther's coattails during the Reformation, got predestination wrong. He used logic instead of the word of God. He said, if you're predestined to be saved, then it must be that God predestined you to go to hell. And uh, that's wrong because the Bible says God wants all men to be saved. It says if you end up in hell, that's your fault. But it also makes it clear if you end up in heaven, God had predestined you. And the only way this all makes sense is if we have faith. Faith like Rahab where we say, okay, Lord, I'm clinging to your mercy. And and so Rahab, it's obvious that they go to the one prostitute in town that happens to already believe and trust in this God of mercy. That's all God working behind the scenes. And it's because of that that in the New Testament, Rahab is mentioned twice. Both times very complimentary, twice besides our text, our genealogy in Matthew. And she's, she's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, where we're told, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with the unbelievers, because she welcomed the spies in peace. By her faith, she clung to the Lord, knowing she's jeopardizing her life, protecting these spies. So she's already trusting in his mercy and his protection. And by faith, she boldly protected those spies, told them what to do, and even trusted them, knowing that the city was going to be destroyed, trusted them to preserve her and her family's life as, as I said, as her brothers in the coming Savior. And so uh, as we look at those lessons in the coming of our Lord in, from his genealogy, we see he comes to those living in darkness. The light shined on Rahab with his word. And we see after God shined his light on her, Rahab is actually held up for her faith. She clung to his promises. She risked her life knowing that she only the only way her physical life was going to continue was in the Lord's protection. But the physical life isn't the biggest deal at all, right? She recognized that her eternal life she already had in this God of the Israelites. And the one she says, she admits, is the, is the creator of all things, the one above all creation. 
The second time she is complimented in the scriptures, other than in Matthew, uh, is in James chapter 2, verse 25. Now, James is one of the first two books, it appears, to be written in the New Testament. It's either Matthew or James, so they, they compete for first and second place. They don't really compete. And James was written to show people that when you have faith, you're going to have fruits of faith. See, we can't read people's hearts. A person can tell you all the time they're a believer. If they never come to church, if they never have any desire to hear the word of God, chances are they're lying to you, right? A believer is going to want to uh, strengthen their faith and, and, and hear the good news of forgiveness and, and hear of the God of grace. So James was written to show people faith without works is dead. It's not that James teaches good works save you. It's rather if you're saved, you, you know, it's because you have faith, then you will do good works. So James holds her up in chapter 2, verse 25, and we're told in the same way also, wasn't Rahab the prostitute shown to be righteous by works when she welcomed the spies and sent them out another way? For just as the body without breath is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Her preserving those spies' life was actually a fruit of faith. And so we see the light grows fruit, just as if you plant something and put it in a dark closet that never sees daylight, it's never going to do anything. But she had the Lord had shown his light on her and Rahab grew fruit. So the light grows fruit and Rahab is held up for the fruits of her faith. Now, let's make some applications to you and I. I don't know about you, but I've had a few times, more than a few times in my life, where I have uh, invited people to come to church. Oh, man, you, you're having a struggle. I think that any message you're going to hear of God's grace is going to help you. Why don't you come to church with me? And, and uh, I used to hear one of the lamest ways I ever heard it, and the person meant it being funny. I don't mean it as an, as an insult. would say, if I showed up at church, the roof would cave in on me. There are a lot of people that think you have to be holy first, and then you can come to church, Right? Rahab was a prostitute. She would have grown up a Baal worshiper. The Lord came to her with his word and he converted her. And the same, when you're working on people and they say that, well, I'm too sinful to come to church, turn around and tell them, no, God has sent me to you with the word. He's working on you. Now come to hear the word more. The word comes to the unholy. It's only sinners who need a savior. So we share the word and we trust God just as he did with Rahab works through his word. Many people will, when the lie is proclaimed, which was what was proclaimed, God's destroying every one of the people who stand up against his people. Uh, but the law shows us our sin. And so lots of times people hear the law and they say, well, that's it. I'm done for. I can't stand this, God. But it's really the good news of salvation in Christ, the one who has taken on human flesh that puts a person in their heart. Many people will reject it. But God will also do with many people with that same message what he did with Rahab. He'll put his Holy Spirit in their heart and give them faith. And so we confess our faith. We're not afraid to confess it. Confessing both that God is holy but, and that he is the almighty God, but also confessing that he is the one who saves us. And think about this. Rahab must have been an encouragement for those spies. When the knock came on the door, oh, yes, ma'am, there's some spies here. Their hearts must have sunk. And then suddenly to find out we have a sister in the coming, in the coming Lord who is preserving our life. Thank you, Lord. 
this was an encouragement even for her brothers and sisters in the, I mean, for her two brothers in the Lord. And it's a reminder for you and I. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are already believers. Confess your faith. You may be surprised how often the Lord is using that to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. Besides bringing those who aren't in the light into the light so that they become brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, yes, the fruits of your faith will grow because you trust in the Lord, just as Rahab was willing to trust in the Lord in his mercy and showed those fruits by saving those two spies' life. So we see lessons in the coming of our Lord from his genealogy. He comes to those living in darkness. The light shined on Rahab with his word. After God shined his light on her, Rahab is held up for her faith. And the light grows fruit. And Rahab is held up for the fruits of her faith in, in the New Testament. Christ is the light. John talks about that in his gospel. And it seems appropriate to conclude this sermon by reading John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. The real light that shines on everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to what was his own, yet his own people did not accept him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of blood or of the desire of the flesh or of a husband's will, but born of God. Amen. And now the God of grace give you peace, hope, love, and joy as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope, power, peace, joy, and love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.